Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Now, my friends, today we are in for a huge gift. My very dear friend, uh, Dre Bergs, is joining us to deliver our message for today on Fathers in the Household. Now, Dre is a accomplished church planter. He's been church planting for many years. He's a theologian. He's getting his doctorate right now. This guy is an unbelievable gift as a friend to me, and I know he's going to be a gift today as we see how he is going to lead us in understanding fathers in the household. Greetings, grace and peace, family and friends. We're so honored, we're so excited that you've tuned in to this weekly message uh, to our Redeeming Hope family. Again, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to work and walk through the Word of God with you. Listen, family and friends, my name is Dre Bergs, and I have the awesome opportunity this week to not only look into the Scriptures, but to explicate and to explain uh, that which uh, your pastor, Pastor Joshua Young, has assigned me to explain. Uh, As you all know, we've been in a series entitled Households, that changed the world. We've discussed singleness, we've discussed husbands, we've discussed wives, and this week in particular, what we want to look at is fatherhood. What what is the importance of a father? Listen, ladies and gentlemen, 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from homes where the children have no father in the home. There are children who are crying out, I want my daddy. 80% of rapists are motivated by are motivated by displaced anger from the absence of their daddy. Listen, 73% of adolescent murderers come from fatherless homes. You can hear the children all over this country, you can hear children right there in your city of Clarksville, Tennessee, who are screaming, I want my daddy. 73% of, again, high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 85% of youth that are sitting in prison today grew up in, ladies and gentlemen, a fatherless home. So there are 85% of youth who have cried out At a time in their lives, I want my daddy. These statistics, ladies and gentlemen, translate to me, and they translate to mean that children from fatherless homes are five times more likely to commit suicide. They are 6.6 times more likely to become uh, uh, pregnant teenagers or to become teenaged parents. 32 more times likely to run away. Can you hear the children all over your city, all over this state, all over our country who are crying out right now, I want my daddy. 22 times more likely to have behavior disorders. 14 times more likely to commit rape. 9 times more likely to drop out of high school. 20 times more likely to end up in prison. I think it is safe to say this 
week that there are a multitude of individuals who are in this country and all over this world who are screaming and crying out, I want my daddy. There is an importance of a daddy. I was taught at a very early age, young in my life, that there is an importance of a father. There is a role that fathers play in the lives of their children. But when a father is absent, when a father is absent, when a father has neglected or has forsaken their children, it is so often that the child is living a life that is confused, that is living a life without identity, that is living a life that is many times not God-honoring. And so there is an importance, there is an importance of the role that a father plays in the life of a child. In our text today, we jaywalk to Mark chapter number 15, verse number 33 and 44. In our text today, we see Jesus. We see Jesus when the sixth hour had came, when darkness had fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, the Bible declares in Mark chapter number 15 that Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a topical message, but yet I still want to have a hermeneutical approach as we explain the issues and the big idea, the telos unto you this week. So as we look at the text, there is an importance to getting context so that you can respect the content. Jesus, in our text today, Mark chapter number 15, verses 33 through 34, Jesus is geographically, hear me, located and positioned on the cross. He is at this time beaten. He is at this time battered. He is at this time bruised. He has marched up the Via Dolorosa. He is now hanging on the cross. Everybody that said they loved him at this particular point in time, many of them had left him. And so... Where is all of the people that he had healed in this very moment? Again, giving you context so that you can respect the content. Where are the individuals that he had healed? Where are the individuals that he had fed? Where are the individuals that he had assisted and helped all of his ministry? And so he's now on the cross. He is positioned on the cross and he is now crying out. It is amazing how he kept his equanimity. In other words, he kept a certain level of calmness. He kept a certain level of composure and even, even temperedness in this such difficult situation, but there was one thing, ladies and gentlemen, there was one thing in particular that had bothered him, and this is what we want to lift today. The question is simply this, how is it that he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God? It required him to be forsaken required forsakenness. It required God the Father to forsake God the Son because he is very God. He is fully God and 
fully man, but yet he could not look at the sin that his son had now begun to bear. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. He had become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. Fathers, listen to me, hear me really, really well. In order for you to maintain the proper biblical and spiritual relationship with your children, you have to first understand what spirituality is all about. Spirituality is all about having a life that is shaped and sourced by the Holy Spirit. It's having a life that is shaped in and sourced by the Holy Spirit. But yet there are some biblical uh, distinctives, some biblical and evangelical distinctives to spirituality. And number one, the first thing is biblicism. Scripture serves as the final authority for our faith, for your faith, sir. If you are a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, Scripture should serve as the ultimate and the final authority for our faith and for our practice. And so as you just think, again, I'm going to get there because this is a topical message, but I'm going to take a hermeneutical approach. And so I'm going to get back to the big idea here, but it is so important for you to understand, sir, ma'am, madam, family, that in order to maintain biblical order in relationships, we've got to understand what biblical spirituality is. We've got to understand biblicism, that scripture serves as the ultimate and the final authority for our faith and for our practice. Also, we have to understand what crucicentrism is. Crucicentrism simply means that the cross of Christ is central to one's spiritual experience. And this is the reason why. I have slightly detoured because here it is in our text today. We are and we're finding ourselves geographically or we find Jesus geographically positioned on the cross. Don't tell me that you are living a biblical life. Don't tell me that you are fulfilling the evangelical distinctives and crucicentrism is not an imperative in your spirituality. Biblicism, apart from crucicentrism, is antithetical. Crucicentrism, the cross of Christ, is central to one's spiritual experience. Why? Why do you ask, sir? Why do you ask, ma'am? Because simply put, the cross has made it possible for our reconciliation unto God. The cross made it possible. The cross puts on display the full attributes of God, especially his holiness and love. And that shapes our response to him when we are image bearers of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we truly want to have our lives transformed as a result of the gospel, we have to understand that the cross put on full display the attributes of God, his holiness as well as his love, and that shapes our response to him. But not only that, conversionism. One must pass from spiritual death to spiritual life through repentance in faith or and faith in Jesus Christ. Conversionism. We, we've got to be changed. We have to be transformed. And that happens not by our works, but it happens through 
faith. And so as you think about biblicism, as you think about crucicentrism, as you think about conversionism, I don't want you to forget or not write down activism. Spiritually, activism spiritually is to be expressed through active obedience to what the word of God says. That's what we, it's activism, it's active obedience, actively doing good works that benefit others. And so there is an organizing principle to biblical spirituality. What is the organizing principle? Matthew chapter 22, 34 through 40. That is the organizing principle. Love God with all of your heart, sir with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Love your neighbor as self. Who is your neighbor? It is your relational network. It is your oikos. It is your wife. It is your children. It is your extended family. It is your church family. Again, we're talking about households that change the world. If you want to see your household change, sir, you've got to be a good father with a little g because there's only one good good father with a big g and so ladies and gentlemen as we again jaywalk back to our text jesus is on the cross and he says my god my god why have you forsaken me. Every child wants their daddy. Every child in his humanity, here it is, he's crying out on the cross, why, Father, have you forsaken me? And there are so many children who are saying the exact same thing today. Father, why have you forsaken me? What is it that I've done for you to be absent, for you to not be present, for you to not love me sacrificially? What have I done? What did my mama do? Listen, there are so many children who are saying, I want my daddy. Every child, listen, wants their father. And every child wants their father, hear me, number one, to be present. Nothing substitutes time, sir. Nothing substitutes time. I don't care how much you provide. Nothing substitutes time. Brother, you are vital. You are vital to the upbringing. You are vital to setting the trajectory for the life of your children, your son and or your daughter. Listen, sir. Listen, ma'am. You need to be present. And listen, ma'am. You need to allow that man, that father to be present. This is the reason why this is just not for the father. It's also for some mothers who have taken the posture and the position to only allow the father to be present if he has a present. I need for you to hear me. He should allow, be allowed to be present even if he does not have a present, a gift money all of the time because even men go through hardships and difficulties but that should not exclude him from fulfilling the role of being a father 
Nothing substitutes time. Nothing substitutes time. You can have all of the money, but without that father's time, the money is not worth anything. So listen, sir. Listen, sir. I need for you to hear me, my brother. You need to be present. Your presence is vital. Your daughter needs to know that she is lovely. Your son needs to know that he is a man. Your son needs his identity. Your daughter needs to be adorned and loved by you. So don't allow your child to say, I want my daddy to be present. How you got a child I mean, that, that, how do you have a child and you're not there for that child? That, that, that is an anomaly. That, that, that to me is mind-boggling. How, sir, can you have a child and not be present for that child? How can you have a child and not know where that child is? Somebody, please understand that your presence is necessary. I want my daddy to be present. And there are gospel implications there. But the good news is about the gospel is we don't have to worry about if our father is present. I want my daddy to not just be present, but I want my father to pray for me. I want a praying father. If you look in the text, Brother, there, there is power in, in, in what you say. There's power in your mouth. There, there is power in the tongue. And fathers, you've got to learn how to intercede. You've got to learn how to intercede for your children. The problem is with many men, ladies, is he's cute, but he can't pray. He's sexy, but he doesn't know Jesus. He makes a lot of money, but he's not a good steward. Listen, 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 because this is not the children's fault. Many times it's the mother's fault or, yeah, it's the mother's fault. Listen, stop allowing men to be with you who have not been with God. Hear me. Listen to me. I know this is, I'm supposed to be preaching, but I feel a little pastoring here. Listen, ladies, stop being with men who have not been with God. And then you wonder why he's not present in your life or in the child's life. Listen, you've got to not make a decision on a man being a father just because he's cute, because he has muscles, because he's tall, he's handsome, he's masculine, he looks like Thor. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, find you a man or, find, listen, ladies, find you a man or allow a man to find you who knows Jesus. Not, not one who doesn't know Jesus, but one who knows Jesus and one who knows how to pray. Listen, children want their fathers to pray for them. I, I want to challenge fathers who are listening to this message this week. Uh, you are the head. You are the governmental mouthpiece for your household. Are you a praying man? Are you a praying father? 
When is the last time you have prayed a prayer of intercession for your household, for your children? You are the head. You are the governmental mouthpiece. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the numbers of them. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. Listen, Job was a man who interceded for his children. He would send a offering unto God. Job would send and consecrate them. He would set them apart for service unto the Lord, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of the children. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to learn how to pray for our children. Father, sir, you've got to pray for your children. Genesis chapter 49, verse number 28 says this. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, everyone, with the blessing appropriate to him. Fathers pray, ladies and gentlemen. I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm glad I had a praying father. Because when I was living foolishly, I had a father that was praying for me, that was interceding for me. I thank God that I had a praying father, a daddy that knew how to pray. Listen and hear me very well. If you have not been praying for your children... I want to encourage you. The whole purpose of this sermon series is to encourage us to live lives that are pleasing unto God, that bring him honor. We want to be a household that changes the world. That's what we want. We, we want to be a household that changes the world. And so see in Genesis chapter 49, verse 28, the Old Testament, the Old Testament, before the father died, he would bless his children. And that's what the father is supposed to do. I, I remember uh, when my father passed, we, we all had to come around the bed in the hospital room. And he, he absolutely spoke life into us as he was dying. And that, that is what fathers do. The father is supposed to, to, to spot the anointing in his child. Have you spotted the anointing in your child and begin to speak to what God is wanting to do? In that child, listen, the chief end or aim of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I, I want to suggest to you, Father, that it is your job to, to show your son and to show your daughter how they can glorify God with the gifts that God has given them. Spot the anointing that is in their lives and cultivate that so that they can glorify God and enjoy him forever. Remember, again, what is one of the evangelical essentials to maintaining biblical order in our relationships? Loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving others the way that we love ourselves. And ultimately, that leads us to making disciples. Listen, we've got to understand that if we would do our jobs as fathers which is to spot the anointing, spot the gift, spot what God created them for, 
and begin to cultivate that so that they can glorify God with their lives and ultimately enjoy him forever in eternity. That is the responsibility of a father. Do y'all remember Jacob and Esau? They, they were fighting over what? The blessing, not the money. They were fighting over the blessing. A father is supposed to pray and bless his children. I wanted my father, and I thank God that my father blessed me. And I need for you to hear me. There is a difference between permission and a blessing. There, there was times my dad permitted me to do things, but he did not have or he did not bless it. And I don't know about you, but, but I want the blessing, not just from my heavenly father, but I wanted the blessing in my life from my earthly father. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I need you to understand that we need our fathers to be present. We need our fathers to pray for us. I, I wanted my daddy to pray and I wanted my daddy present. But I also wanted my daddy to provide for me. The text says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. First Timothy chapter number five, verse eight. A man that doesn't take care of his household is worse than an unbeliever, an infidel. If you don't take care of your children, sir, if you don't take care of your children, ma'am, Ugh, it's bad. But the text says, you, Father. See, I've not seen a whole lot in history where mothers innately would just abandon or abdicate their responsibility. But so often because men can just, uh, how do I want to say this, um, can, can, can pull pollen from multiple flowers um, they, they abandon the responsibility um, from where uh, they've been uh, pulling pollen from. And so what I'm suggesting and saying is fathers need to be present. Fathers need to pray, but fathers also need to provide. Don't tell me you are a believer and you don't take care of your children, sir. That is antithetical to the scriptures. A man that does not take care of his children is worse than an unbeliever. Especially, the Bible says, those of his own household. The exegetical explanation is if any man doesn't attempt to provide. Because there are some women who don't allow a man to provide. Or they try and dictate how, or you allow culture to dictate how a man provides, or how much provision he should provide. And then you allow culture, you allow polity, you allow the AG's office to dictate and determine the value of a father or the value of what a man has provided and it's all based off of money. Remember, children, they don't, they don't just want the money, they want their father to be present, they want their father to pray for them, they want their father to bless them and they want their father to provide any brother can hit a rough spot. Any man can hit a rough spot. Any man can lose his job. Any man can get pulled over. 
but there is difference between laying and paying. Y'all get that. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children. But I want to say that the greatest generational blessing that a man can leave his children is the gospel. That is the greatest generational blessing. What I am holding on to today is not the money that my father left, not the possessions that my father left, but it was the seed that is the gospel that was planted into my heart. That is what I have held on to. That is what gets me from the highs and the low moments in my life. It is the fact that my father left the greatest inheritance that he could leave. That was the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want my daddy to provide. I wanted my dad to provide. You may have wanted your father to provide. You have wanted your dad to pray. You have wanted your father to be present. And for some of you that have listened, that are listening, he wasn't present. He didn't pray, nor did he provide. And you find yourself just like Jesus was when he was positionally, when he was positioned geographically, excuse me, on the cross, beaten. Life has beaten you. The absence of your father, sir, has beaten you. The absence of your mother, ma'am, uh, uh, the, the absence of your father, ma'am, has just beaten you down. It has destroyed you. It has caused you to, to, to pursue affirmation in relationships with men and or women. It has caused you to live sexual, immoral lives because daddy didn't tell you, ma'am, that you were lovely. He didn't tell you that you were adorable. You didn't sit on your father's knee and he bounced you and he kissed you on the cheek and tell you that you were his princess. Sir, your father wasn't there. He didn't tell you that you were a man. So the first man that, that told you that, 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 that he loved you, you embraced that love in an improper way. Y'all listen to me. I understand the importance of a father. I understand how you could feel exactly how Jesus felt on the cross. My God, my God, why has my father forsaken me? Where is he? I remember at five, he told me he was coming to pick me up. Where is he? I don't know if you remember the episode of the Fresh Prince where Will's father had came in town and he said that he was going to take him to a game and Will waited patiently for his father to show up because he had been waiting for his father to be present. He had been waiting for his father to pray for him. He had waited for his father to provide for him. But his father did not provide. His father did not pray his father was not present and at the end of that episode will broke down and this is how I can imagine Jesus was on the cross he was being beaten he had been beaten he had been broken down and at this very moment when the text says in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf Jesus is now having his father turned his head. And he is saying, as he is beaten, 
as he is battered, as he, as he is bruised, as he is feeling defeated, he's saying, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? And listen, ladies and gentlemen, friends and family, there are so many fathers who have forsaken their children. And I've given you the stats of what happens, but it's not too late for you to enter back into that child's life, to repent and try and fix and to restore, to try and be present, to try and begin praying for and providing for, not financially, but providing spiritually and emotionally, possibly. And so... What no child wants is for their father to provoke them. Fathers, the Bible says, do not provoke your children to anger. How many of you listening to this week's message, you're listening to this week's message and you, at some point in time in the message, have found yourself angry? Because you've had a flashback of you waiting on your father to show up. You've had a flashback of your father possibly being present he was in the home, but he was never present. He was never at a basketball game. He was never at a cheerleading uh, uh, a competition. He, he was never at a soccer game. He was never at a baseball game. He was present, and he bought presents, but he was not actually there. He was in the home, but he wasn't there. Maybe you had a daddy that was in the home, but he was not a God-fearing father. He cursed you out rather than interceded for you. And that provoked you to anger. Maybe you had a father that provided for you. He didn't curse you out. But he has provoked you to anger by things that he has done, by harsh words. Listen, in the cultural context of the time, fathers represented the governmental head and was ultimately responsible for the moral and religious education. Proverbs teaches us that fathers instruct, mothers teach. Fathers, in the cultural context, again, Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Do not provoke your children. So fathers, we have a special responsibility. We have a special responsibility towards the child and are specifically are addressed here in Ephesians 6 to provoke not, to irritate not by vexation commands, by vexious commands, unreasonable blame. And so many times, if I was just to be honest, I am guilty as a father. I have sometimes unconsciously provoked my children to anger. Why or how? By vexious commands by unreasonable blame by speaking too harshly and I don't care how my father spoke to me that doesn't mean that I should speak to mine the way he spoke to me that doesn't mean that I neglect discipline either but just because our parents said things. Does it mean that we should continue to say those very things? Because there was a lie that I grew up reciting and you grew up reciting the exact same thing. Sticks and stones 
may break our bones, but words will never hurt. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There are so many things that has been said to me in my life that still hurts. And so as a father, as a parent, we must be very cautious. We must be very in tuned. We must be aware, ladies and gentlemen, not to say things that will provoke our children to anger. Effectively, the apostle is ruling out excessively severe discipline, unreasonable, harsh demands, abuse of authority. And there are some fathers who abuse their authority. And they abuse their authority with their children because they've abused their authority as a husband. And Pastor Young has already spoken on it, but you cannot abuse your authority, men, as a husband nor as a father. And so many times we have seen it done. Rule your household with love, not with a fist or with a baseball bat. Rule it with love. Love your children so much that they submit. Love your wife so much that she submit. Effectively, what the Apostle Paul is ultimately saying is don't severely discipline, don't use harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrationness, unfairness, constant nagging, or condemnation, which ultimately subjects your children to humiliation and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and to a child's sensibilities. Catch this. Don't make your child hate you. Don't, Father, make your child hate you. Because the fact of the matter is, no one says on their deathbed, I wish I spent more time in the office. I, I wish I spent more time preaching or I wish I spent more time in ministry. No, what people say on their deathbed is I wish I spent more time with Jesus or I wish I had spent more time with my wife. I wish I had spent more time with my children, with my kids. I wish I had been more present. I wish I would have prayed more for my children. I wish I would have provided more, not monetarily, not financially, but I wish I would have provided more through the lens of scripture, through the lens of the gospel, not religion or irreligion, but the centrality of the gospel, not all truth. And this is what pastor has been wanting to lift, ladies and gentlemen, not all truth but also not all grace. And fathers, we could give all truth sometimes, and all truth can come out very harsh and very demanding, and there needs to be a balance of grace. So it's not all religion, nor is it all irreligion, grace. So it's not all truth, it's not all grace. But there must be the centrality of the gospel, which is grace and truth. And so as you process, as you process the importance of being a father, I, I just want to pray with us all 
I, wa I want you to process what we've discussed today. I want you to process what it means for you to be a father that fathers according to scripture. I want you to fight the temptation and the pull from the world. And I want you to begin to align your lives with the evangelical spiritual distinctives of biblicism, crucicentrism, conversionism, and activism. Sir, the Bible, scripture should serve as the final authority for your faith. Sir, the cross of Christ made it possible for you to be reconciled unto God. And if you are a father and you have not accepted the redemptive work of Christ Jesus, listen, sir, listen, ma'am, now is the opportunity. At the conclusion of this message, you will have an opportunity to accept Christ. And we want to extend him to you today. We want you to understand that the cross has made it possible for your reconciliation unto God, for your restoration unto God. The cross puts on full display. And where we see Christ today is on the cross in our text. But the good news is he didn't stay there. He died a death that you nor I could have died. And he descended to the pits of Sheol and he conquered the enemy death that you and I could not conquer. And he freely gives us life in him. Again, the text says he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so he has imputed and imparted righteousness to our lives. Sir, ma'am, I just need for you to believe that today because you are saved not by your works, Father, Daddy, but you are saved by grace through faith. And so we are extending Christ, redeeming hope. We are extending Christ. I understand that some of you were born and your father wasn't present and that has shaped your narrative script and now you are dealing with your children and possibly allowing your narrative script to dictate and to determine how you deal with your children. What I'm saying is let's allow the gospel to implode those narrative scripts that are not healthy, that are not God-honoring, and let's truly embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for this time that we have shared together, God, in your word. We thank you for um, your son, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for his redemptive work on the cross. We realize even in this moment, Father, that if we are to maintain 
order in our relationships, that we must first maintain order in our vertical relationship. We must love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We must love others the way that we love self. So to do what needs to be done, we must first maintain the healthy family. We must maintain the healthy family. We must be positive towards others. We must avoid gossip. We must avoid negative talk, coarse jesting. We must maintain, Father, an even temper, avoiding outbursts of anger, intemperate behavior, Father, but we must align our thoughts with your word and with your will and with your way, and that is what begins to promote unity and trustworthiness, and that is how we can maintain a healthy family. And so we, as men, we, as parents, want to live in community. We want to build households that ultimately will change the world, and we do that by living in community, Christocentric community, gospel-centered community. And we must be accountable to other believers. And so fathers, we pray even right now that as men, we will begin to find accountability pockets where we can be held accountable to being the fathers that we need to be to our children. We need to resolve to be good fathers, to train our children, to, 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 to develop our sons to be safe men and not rogue men. And so again, God, we just thank you for the opportunity to get right what we have already wronged. Not because we deserve it, but because of the gracious and the compassionate act of your son, Christ Jesus. And so again, we thank you. We thank you for even restoring our brokenness right now. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.